Intruder alert. Intruder alert. Computer, lock down cave. Well, I think we found our unknown energy impulse. Impulse? That's so crash! Catchy, dramatic, one word. Like Nightwing and Robin and Beast Boy. Except that's two words. Blue Beetle's two words. Hey, is he here too? Never mind. Impulse can't find that out for himself. <laughs> Welcome to the Geek Generation. I am your host, Rob Logan, and we have a super packed episode this week. I recently had the opportunity to go down to the Hall of Comics in Southboro, Mass. to do a few interviews. In the first half, I talked with the owners of the Hall of Comics, Jake and Johnny. We talk a little bit about their history in the comic book business, their inspiration for starting their own comic book store, and what it takes to keep up with the industry and run their shop. In the second half of the episode, I had the opportunity to chat with comic book artist Craig Russo about his original title, The Perhapanauts, his work on Batman Beyond, Impulse, Batman 66, and a number of other titles. We also talk a little bit about why he chose to pursue art, how he broke into the comic book industry, and what it takes to develop original characters and designs. So without further ado, let's jump right in. Uh, so you guys have been in business here for about a year at this point, right? Eight months, coming nine close months. on. Yeah, we opened at uh, end of April. Yeah, in time in time for free comic book day. So, how long have you guys been in the business in general? Um, this will be, I think, my third year in the actual comic retail yeah. business, and Jake Couple at least. But yeah, second year uh, involved in comic books and uh, doing retail customer service my entire adult life. Oh wow. Yeah. So that was a clear entry point into all this, right? Sure. Oh, yeah. Comic books, the hobby, and the customer service, the professional coming together. Yeah. Worked out. And what was your uh, what was your inspiration to come out and branch out on your own after all that stuff? Um, I don't know. I was always in the uh, professional IT sales guy for a mm-hmm. long time, traveled around, and all those skills that I've acquired have seemed to come together in this opportunity. Um, my first shot was out of Friendly Neighborhood Comics. It's out of mm-hmm. Ernie Pelletier, a really good guy. Help me out learn the business from that perspective. Certainly when anyone comes into a comic shop, they think it's, oh, yeah, I can run a shop. I've always wanted to run a shop. And right. The reality is a lot different than the oh, dream. But uh, in a lot of ways, the reality is a lot more fun than the dream. Oh, yeah? Yeah, it's just it's um, it's not the most lucrative thing at this point. We work sure. hard and we, we've turned all the positive income back into the store, which okay. is all part of the process. <laughs> But, um, wow, that was interesting. <laughs> That's um, live radio. You never you know, know what it? you'll hear at yeah, the Hall of Comics. Sure <laughs> but uh, as I was saying, it turned out that um, I had an opportunity to go back into IT sales. Yep. I'd done some work for Ernie down at FNC, got his online store going, and got a chance to run some of the front-end stuff and really liked it. And uh, there we go. <laughs> that would be my son on cue. Maybe the coffee didn't look the way I wanted it to. But... Um, so as I was saying, we were um, I got the opportunity to run the front end. Jake was a customer. His passion and his ability to frame things up was just perfect with my vision and okay. really clicked and he joined the group and we really did some good things down there. I got to learn quite a bit as well that um, again honor Ernie's dime. But uh, <laughs> as it turned out, we had an opportunity to come up here and do some things that we wanted to do and weren't allowed to do down there. It's just yeah. been a great chance to uh, work and grow together. We have a lot of great plans for the place. 
Yeah. I think that anybody who's been a comic book fan or has read comic books can't help but imagine, well, what would the perfect comic book store look like? Or right. what would a comic book store that, if it were mine, what I would do? And every comic book fan has those ideas. We got to, we were fortunate enough, we got to live them out here. We got to, you know, tweak it and make it the, what we wanted a store to be if that we could, you know, shop at the ideal comic book store. And, uh, John's talents and my talents seem to mesh perfectly. You know, he's a professional and expert. At all Watch out what you say. Here. I know this is being recorded. This is being recorded. Yes. So I'm, I'm, I'm editing. Uh, he's got all the stuff that I'm lacking in, and vice versa. So okay. It was fortunate that it came together the way it did. Uh, he's got his areas of expertise, and he stays in there, and I stay in, in, in my zone, and it all gets done. But you can't take your eyes off it for a second because, yeah. It's, yeah, it's comic books, and it's fun, and it's a hobby, and it's a passion, but it's also a business. And um, we like to say, you know, a lot of it's just a moving target. you gotta, you got to have your eyes on the on the ball the whole time. I think when you, when you are a comic book fan, you walk in and you don't get that. You look around and you think, oh, they sell themselves, or, right. wow, this is a lot of fun. Uh, but it's it's lots of work. But yeah, at least we're having a good time while we're doing it. So, what have you guys noticed in the? I know this has kind of come up in the recent years, the whole <clears throat> digital thing versus the brick and mortar. How is that affecting business? And what do you have to do to compensate for something like that? Or is it actually just another tool that you can use? I think it's another tool. I think it, it, from what we've seen our, our short time here, if anything, the digital market has bolstered or helped bring attention you know the younger audience that's tuned into the digital is made aware of the hard copies that are out there we have a lot of people who say oh yeah i read it digitally but now i want that hard copy mm -hmm. and they get it regardless we've tried to i think compensate for that with the selection of older back issues we have okay which the point of having those is yeah maybe you can read the stories digitally but an older collectible comic perhaps it's a something that has a certain nostalgia for you or it's a first appearance of a character so it makes that issue important having that digitally just isn't the same right so we have you know all the cl classic back issues on the wall that people even if they don't end up buying them they can come in they, here they can see them and experience it i think makes up for sitting at home being able to read it's just not the same thing absolutely yeah. i personally think it's the evolution of the industry itself so um going back a little bit i'm an old customer of bob city comics uh Jimmy and Jack down at Bedrock Comics and Paul Hollett and his family over at That's Entertainment. That was old school. I mean, sure, that, was, sure. that was floppies only. I don't even think graphic novels were introduced really until the mid-80s. So they were selling single-issue comics. Now we're having customers come in that are finding things through either video games, through movies, through just YouTube fan-created sure, videos, sure. through podcasts like yours. Yeah. They're all finding their way over the wall. Eventually, they get into the store. Now it's up to us to plug them into whatever level they want to yeah. really engage. Mm -hmm. It's either a graphic novel, floppy, old-school version. Um, what do you have that's anime-related, that's Batman-related? It's really it's really helpful from our perspective, but you got to be prepared for all those questions. Right, right. When things are available digitally, are you noticing maybe the the purchases of things like merchandise and figures and things like that going up because that's something they can't get really any other way that's kind of a physical thing in general? That's interesting. I never really considered that. I think it's just an offshoot. I think figures and the video games and DVDs are an offshoot of the property. These things are living legends, right? These are our own fairy tales sure. now. So people come in. We have Spider-Man people. We have Batman people. I think for me, one of the best things that's occurred in the last eight months is the ability to watch 
families bring their kids in. Mm-hmm. Right. Fathers, moms that love the characters try to introduce their kids and the kids have Spider-Man shirts on or Batman sneakers on. And right. So it's being prepared for that because that's the next generation. Right. Um, I think where baseball cards went wrong is it became a greed mm-hmm. thing at an adult level and we see where that market is. Sure. This one is going to be a perpetual generational pull. And as long as, again, we feel like we can plug them into something, they'll keep coming into the Hall of Comics or they'll also help some of the other stores around that have been fantastic to us as well in the last eight months. Mm. Yeah, I think just to emphasize something that uh, John mentioned in passing is that it's amazing all the different venues that people do come to it from uh, uh, somebody, a guy who sells me my groceries talking to me about some Batman stories. And I was like, well, if you've read that, why haven't you read this? And he's like, oh, well, I watched the video game. I played Arkham. Asylum. Oh, okay. And I'm like, you came to Batman through a video game, you know, and that I'm I'm 42 years old. That right. connection there for how you become aware of the character just isn't the same for me. So the fact that they find out about it through a movie or a TV show or a video game is it, it's all out there and it's incredible the crossover and the, the connections the way they happen like that. What do you guys do to follow the the trends that come and go? Like obviously the pop figures are a big thing right now, so that had to I'm show sorry, it. What so. did you say? <laughs> are you not a fan of the pop? No, figures? I'm a huge pop oh, guy. Very big fan. I love them too. Actually, the the loot crate has a uh, a pop figure in it this yeah, month, yeah. and it's the first time I got one, so I'm very excited oh, to get my hands on that. Yeah, but provide. following the trends, like which characters are popular at any given time, granted the movies obviously have a big reflection on that. But what do you guys do to follow like what's going to be the kind of up and coming thing? I, I really think that uh, the people coming into the store, certainly information is available to us 24 hours a day. The internet, as you know, is a, uh, yeah. is a retailer's dream because every answer to every question you might have is on there. For us, I think it comes in from the people coming in the store that come in and we have Harley Quinn people. Uh-huh. We have Batman people. We have people that are Spider-Man that are still upset about Spider-Man too. Yeah. <laughs> um, just to digress a little bit, one of the one one of the humbling things about this and one of the amazing things if you step back is is that despite anyone's age, anyone's background, mm-hmm. anyone's ethnicity, lifestyle change, we all have this common shared that I can, I'm sure. 48 years old. Yeah. I can talk to a kid that's 16, 18, right. 19, because he's into Batman, just discovering it. It's mind blowing to me that they've never read The Dark Knight Returns. <laughs> right, right. How is that possible? Right. So, without sounding like an arrogant old dude, you got to try to introduce him into it. But it's still a, a collective, it's, it is so bizarre that everyone gets to the same point, the yeah. same love of these characters, despite our individual backgrounds. That again, it's humbling. It's mind blowing. Sure. Yeah. The, uh, one of the biggest thrills, John was talking about, the, the generational thing since we opened the store was how many times somebody comes in and they've got their their usually their son with them and he buys his very first comic book oh okay and we lots of times we even you know ask to capture that on you know a snapshot because it's just um it's great for us to experience mm-hmm. that and it's great to see the look on the kid's face and the parents face the parents usually closer in age to us so you have that little moment where like yeah this is his first comic book and yeah, to cool. uh to facilitate that it's something one of those benefits that you don't foresee coming into it right this is a business venture and we're gonna have a good time but you don't think about that next generation that you want to help them keep reading you want to keep the the hobby for lack of a better word keep that alive so people you know don't turn away from the floppies and it's happening It's, it's pretty great yeah it's like the first step into a larger fan like a lifelong fandom yeah. and you guys get to provide that for people yeah and, That's people, are gonna, cool. and people are gonna fall in and out of it i mean we have 
a lot of people to come in and say, oh, I sold my books or I got out of it back right. when I went to college or when I met my significant other. <laughs> That's a quite big a one. <laughs> or I need the space, but they always find their way back. Yeah. And it's never too late. Yeah. It's yeah. Sometimes comics are like a soap opera, right? You can pick them up. You probably yeah. missed a few storylines, but Batman's Batman, Spider-Man's Spider-Man. Unless he's the superior Spider-Man, then we have a different Spider-Man. Right. <laughs> but um, I think the biggest... It, not so much learning experience, but uh, to underscore, it's really a, um, it, it's about creating a community for us. Mm -hmm. Sales are going to come. If you have, give people reasons to come in here, feel warm, feel part of a larger group, have their opinions heard, and, you know, we have customers that talk to each other. It's kind of mind-blowing. Oh. Yeah. It really is cool. You said earlier that one of the reasons that you started up the Hall of Comics was because it allowed you to do some things that you didn't have the opportunity to do before and kind of follow a different direction. So what's your kind of overall general philosophy and what might some of those things be that you think you bring uniquely to the the community? Yeah, just to be clear, it wasn't, uh, I felt like we were we were limited at Friendly Neighborhood Comics. Ernie was really accommodating, allowed right. us to do quite a bit and we're in his debt. I mean, great guy. I um, learned a lot about some of the old, older comics, Golden Age. Um, for me, it was a feeling that Regardless of what we did down there, we had an opportunity to work further with Ernie that whatever we did would still be Ernie's store. Mm -hmm. Ernie started it, and God love him. It's his friendly neighborhood comics, his Ernie. Uh, we wanted to be our own Ernie's, for yeah. lack of a better term. <laughs> yeah. And um, to kind of change it, and this is, I'm from this area. Sure. Um, the opportunity and the spot kind of jumped out at us, and mm -hmm. I'd clicked with Jake again. It's the yin and the yang. It's amazing. Totally different people. Totally right, different right. background. We just clicked, just... He's incredible. Our other partner, Manoli, Saliavakis, um, our third man in. Manoli's done different things for us out, outside. Um, he's our spec guy. He's our hunt guy. He's um, he's finding collections. Yep. So we kind of play off of each other well, as most good yeah. teams do. When we cover for each other when need be, we have each other's back. So it's been a great experience from that. And and our fifth Beatle, our Pete Best, would be um, <laughs> Jake's wife, Laurie. Yeah. Um, she, she's brought a lot of different design work to us and a lot of different yep. things that, I mean, I can't even begin to tell you how important she's been as well and how supportive all of our families have been. Yeah. So I think not so much philosophy, just back to your point, it's been about um, what can we do? How can we grow our own community? Mm -hmm. You know, how can we get our own thing clicking and going? And again, due to where I think we are positionally, where, where, where the shop is, yeah. it's helped dramatically because we have some great corporate businesses around sure. us, Genzyme, Bose, Staples, you know what I mean? Geeks with cash. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. The visibility of the store and... Uh, yeah, being right here on Route 9. I think we really wanted to put a focus on, you know, comic books. We can't uh, we can't do everything. Mm -hmm. So we do just like those those few things as well as we can with the, the back issues and the selection. We've, we've been very fortunate. A lot of people come in, tell us what a great looking store it is. We, we love that. You know, it makes us, lets us know we're doing something right. Oh, yeah. As soon as you come in, if the books weren't here, it would still look like a comic book store. Mm. I mean, the, the colors pop and everything. I hope and... better lit. That was one of the things we had to have is better lighting. Most comic shops aren't lit too well. It's That's very true. It's all about the rent. So it's a it's a tough model to really get up and running. Um, I can't, again, underscore enough and thank the other comic shops around. So Jack and Jimmy at Bedrock Comics, the folks down at Rubber Chicken, Ernie, That's Entertainment. Everyone has been supportive of the store, either through through online or sending customers here, mm -hmm. and that's our methodology. It's the old Macy's versus Gimbel's. If sure, it's sure. The Christmas spirit. It's, Absolutely. If I don't have it, I'm going to send him down yeah. and go see Jay and Steve down at Rubber Chicken, or I'm going to send him down to see Jack if I don't have a key issue. And Ernie's got 
kids' books galore and older comics and things that are his passion. So we try to make sure that we play off of each other. Right. It's not so much competition, but it's cooperation. And it's great that you can even list so many stores when people were really worried about the brick-and-mortar comic sales kind of dropping away. So the fact that there's a community and you can list them all off, that's awesome. And they're still coming. Like, you guys just started up within the last year, so that's amazing. And and I think we all bring something different to the table. Um, You know, again, bringing up Bedrock and Jack and Jimmy, they were my old guys when they were at Bob City. Um, they bring something totally different than we do. Yeah. May handle Boston Comic Con. They're real high-end guys. They've been doing their thing for 20, yeah. 25 years now. Um, a lot of respect to Jay and Steve down at Rubber Chicken. They run some great events. Mm-hmm. I mean, even when I was at FNC, I'd go to some of their events. But, you know, so, and, and everyone brings something different. And we want to do the same thing. We don't want to be the same all, same all, and we can fit in into that bigger mold, and it's better for the customer. Yeah. The customer has a lot of options. We support, yeah, go to other shops, check them out. They got some good stuff down there. I don't yeah. have that. Call Jay and Steve down at Rubber Chicken. They right. may have it. So. Right. And I think the customers are figuring out, too, that, uh, depending on what they're looking for, oh, this place has, th- they're oriented this way, well, this place has that, and we start to see a lot of, a lot of crossover. You know, we get um, somebody who maybe subscribes for their regular weekly books at one store. Mm-hmm. We'll come here once in a while to treat themselves to maybe a key issue and, and vice versa. We, we realize, you know, people's commutes are, you know, a um, reality that they have to deal with. But it really does seem to be like there's enough to go around, which, which we're excited about. Mm-hmm. You know? In addition, so you have the whole online element as well, right? right? right. We've got to deal with Amazon. We have to deal with, um, you know, with Midtown Comics. We have to deal with My Comic Shop. Um I'm a consumer. I'm a comic fan. I get that as well. We have to earn people's money. Mm-hmm. We have to earn their 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 respect and ongoing support. Sure. Um, we try to out hustle people. We try to find books no one else can find. We want to be attentive to everyone. We want to make sure that when they come in, it's hey, how you doing? Great to see you again. Jake's better at names than me. I got to tell you that. <laughs> but uh, the customer, the retail thing, they're kicking in. Yeah. After a while, that's tough too. That's tough to sometimes compete some people get it some people get the fact that we have larger overhead than say midtown comics so we have you know we have a bit of limitation with what we can carry right one of the things that and one of the trends that i've noticed with some shops is they try to be everything to everyone because of that they have a lot of inventory inventory gets heavy yeah. i mean inventory gets heavy you have a lot of sales that's yeah. why you see a lot of sales out there Instead, what we want to do is we want to be, again, as Jake said, pointed on new comics, subscriptions, customer service base, old back issues that you can't find anywhere else. We also want to make sure that one of Jake's passengers is action figures, that we're mm-hmm. getting into that. Mm-hmm. Sideshow collectibles is one sure. of the things Oh, they're offer. amazing, yeah. They are crazy, but those are for, again, a high-end collector. So you have to have yeah. a little bit of everything. So from a pop figure at 10 bucks all the way up to a high-end Sideshow right. collectibles piece, which can go up into the $400, $500 range. Right, right. Sideshow and... Sideshow collectibles and hot toys were definitely one of the things we talked about bringing in early on because it's not something you typically see at the brick-and-mortar level. True. So it's like, okay, maybe we don't have a huge footprint. Maybe we don't have um, all the T-shirts or the posters, but we do have these things that you're not going to find at typical places. And again, it's the kind of thing where maybe you don't have, you know, your wallet's not that big, but you can come in and see them, you know, and it's kind of brings people in. You get people talking. There's nothing like standing around and you know, sharing war stories about what you've got in your collection and what you found and the, the one that got away and yeah, the, yeah. the one the, that you did get. And that that's a real thrill to hear about other people's collections and share that, you know, since we're not coming at it from just strictly a business aspect, it's more about, you know, what would I do today? Would I be sitting home? No, I'd want to come in here anyway and talk, you know, talk um, what's your favorite Batman story with people. And that's that's been a real 
again, an unexpected benefit of it mm. in such a good time. The debates have been pretty epic in here, too. <laughs> oh, I'm sure. Yeah. As a new shop, we have a lot of advantages. I mean, we're getting corporate air cover from films, from television, from video games. Yep. We got debates about Arrow in here and whether or not it's really <laughs> Arrow or is it Batman, right? That's right, story, right, right. You know, no spoilers. Who's, but, uh, who's leading that debate, by the way? I don't know. <laughs> but uh, no, so just little things like that. It gives you an opportunity to engage with people. That's the biggest yeah. thing. It's been real good. For me personally, and great for the store, we have different viewpoints. Again, the, the differences in people, but the same shared passion is amazing. I can't think of anything else. Maybe sports yeah. and sports teams yeah. where people come together to you know, root for certain teams. I right, mention right. too many of them. But, uh, I think <laughs> Alienate it's people right yeah, away. <laughs> and, it's, and, it's, and it's really similar to that because everybody's got a special story or a special right. character that they're really passionate Absolutely. about. Absolutely. I'm a big Aquaman guy. I spend a lot of time defending him. Unfortunately, so but uh, you know, but that's what it comes down to, and you get into some good conversations. You really mm -hmm. learn about people. If yeah. you're listening, you can pick up a lot of things about people's backgrounds and their passions, and why they like a character, and why it resonates with them, and that transfers naturally into sales. Again, if we position the store properly, mm -hmm. we do our jobs right, and we're listening, sales are going to come naturally. If not, that will be the death of brick and mortar. Mm -hmm. And one of the things what you said about brick and mortar is. You got to earn it. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, why stop? Why should I pull off Route 9 yeah. into the Hall of Comics? This is a busy street here. Sure. Why should I make that Frogger move off the highway <laughs> and stop at the Hall of Comics? And we got to give them a reason to it. It's got to change. This is a living organism. The store changes. We move the store around. We move yeah. the books around. We change the books. It's It's been a lot of fun and a learning experience, both personally and professionally. Hmm. Definitely. Yeah, a lot of people come in, they say, oh, you changed things again. And we're like, yeah, it's it's we got to... We got to adjust. You know, there's a lot of new inventory coming right. in. We find people's new interests. We don't want to get dry. We don't want to uh, get boring uh, for us or for them. We want them to give them something, like John said, and make it worthwhile for them to check out. Well, what's new this week? And what have you brought out from the the vault, as I call it? We've got a lot of we got a lot of collections that we're processing, and we're always putting in new back issues. And that's part of the job. You got to do that, or you know, people get bored. Mm. It's one. It's and it's been also fun to have someone just walking off the street you've never met yeah. before. Right. Ask you for an obscure book, and you'll <laughs> be able to pull it out of your back pocket. <laughs> and I'm thinking, Serpo, Amazing Adventures, 1961. Customer comes in, say, yeah, he starts describing this book, and Jake goes, Hey, John, you ever hear of this thing called Serpo? He goes. Yeah, man, we got Serpo. 1961, <laughs> pulled it out, and the person awesome. was like, wow. Classic. Classic. And those are the cool things. to yeah. see someone's eyes light up that they couldn't find something. Treasure hunters. <laughs> yeah, it's just funny. That was a movie moment because you couldn't have thought of more uh, more obscure, stranger book. Right. And the fact that John actually not only had it but remember, like recalled the, the cover and everything. Uh, yeah, that was a great night. That's awesome. Yeah, that was one of those things that uh, I can't remember much of anything, but Serpo, I'm on that one. <laughs> so... Uh, speaking stuff. of entry points, as we did earlier, if we rewind the clock a little bit to a little Jake and Johnny, uh, what were your entry points into the comic universe? I mean, being the older guy, it's definitely Batman yeah. 66 yeah. Oh, for me. Yeah, I mean, Batman. you know, two years old, I got a picture of me with a cape. Probably like you, Robert, yeah. a picture of you when you were a kid. And Jake has a Halloween costume oh, yeah. picture. We all have that, that moment. Absolutely. It just stayed, just stayed with me always, 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 no matter what was the, the Batman. Yeah, I think when I, it was Batman 66 largely for me, but probably in reruns, I would sneak over to the neighbor's house because there was a... That was uh, a shot. <laughs> I had to get one in there somewhere. Uh, TV wasn't real popular at my house, so I'd sneak next door to the neighbors after school and, yeah. or daycare, whatever it was, and uh, watch the syndicate in the afternoon, Batman 66. And I remember uh, first Halloween costume 
was the Batman costume you get in the box, you know, the window box with the mask showing through it. And I wore that thing for a week leading up until Halloween. By the time you got to the 31st, it was worn out. It wasn't even suitable for <laughs> string with broken treating. Yeah. 50 staples. Yeah. I never understood why Batman needed his name on his chest, but whatever. whatever <laughs> that the old tongue slot. You put yeah. Your tongue to now you always... it just looks like you were fighting crime every night, though. So yeah, it's, that's true. It's yeah. more authentic. Exactly. Just, exactly. In case, just in case you didn't know, this is Batman. Right. Battleware. <laughs> yeah. That was good stuff. Uh, but yeah, we and that's one of our, our things to think that uh, we bond over is definitely love of that character. Yeah, that uh, was yeah, age, age five, then, I think. Then, it, you know, super friends, and that just yeah. keeps going. It yeah. just was always, it would always resonate much to some of my girlfriends and <laughs> wives. Back then, like, what the hell is this Batman thing? <laughs> Did you think you'd ever see the day where they become as mainstream as they have in recent years with the Marvel Cinematic Universe and everything like that? Uh, not Maybe not on this scale, but I always had that feeling in the back of my head. You kind of look around. This is, you know, coming from an adolescent point of view as well, like, you guys will get it. You figure it out, and I'm gonna. You're gonna think back. I was the one that had the T-shirts. Yep. You teased me about, and you know it is that personal bit of, <laughs> you know, you, you're shelling out like how many, how much money and movie tickets to take your family on opening night to see Marvel. You know, Marvel's Avengers or whatever it is, and it's like, you know, there's. I think a lot of people who are in the hobby um, have that feeling. We're like, you know, for for better or for worse, that feeling of like, yeah, I was there first. But no, not on this, not on the scale yeah. where everybody now recognizes Cap Shield or you know they're they're always or Rocket be, Raccoon. Yeah, I was gonna say people that, looking know. for Groot and yeah. like, wow, really? Yeah, they're looking for Groot and the, the merchandising is the thing that blows me away. Yeah, I mean, as a kid, I used to read comics on the bus, put them in my books. It's probably the only time I would read my books as a kid because it was comics in them. But uh, I mean, seriously, putting comics because it wasn't the cool thing to do and people would yeah. kind of ridicule you for it. Like, what the hell? Now the same people are gobbling them up and tattoos and, they yeah. and all these different things. So it's really cool to almost feel validated. Like, huh, see, sure. I told you it was cool. And just it's uh, accepted as a, a viable medium, mm -hmm. not, only from a, um, not only from an art standpoint, but from just from the written standpoint as well. Sure. That these writers and these artists are just so incredibly talented and have these crazy visions. Jake and I will go back and forth. So Batman's been in publication Superman as well for 75 years. What else can you tell about Batman? Yeah. What don't we know right. about Batman? But right. they always find something new to twist us in, like the new Scott Snyder, Greg Capullo, has been, mm -hmm. for me, one of the most seminal runs oh, yeah. for the character. Mm -hmm. there's, for me, there's Capullo Snyder, there's O'Neill and Adams, there's obviously you know Bill Finger and... Bob Kane and right. you know you have some great writers there. I forgot Frank Miller, of course, yeah. but uh, those are the ones that you remember. But where do they keep coming up with these concepts, and how do they keep hooking people in and generation after, after generation? So seventy-five years, we're in our fourth generation of Batman, right? yeah. third, third generation of Batman fans. I mean, other than Mickey Mouse, maybe I don't think you can. There are too many other pop. Doesn't Mickey, doesn't Mickey Mouse own Rocket Raccoon? <laughs> <laughs> that have been a, not only been around, well, been around that long, but also sustained the interest and uh, have, have remained relevant for the, for the most part. Mm -hmm. You know, when you when Hollywood pours that much money into a new Superman movie, you know, that's, that's saying something when you think about when that character started. Mm. And the passion there to, to just underscores it. And that, that Man of Steel movie, it's, it's been polarizing in a lot of places. Yeah, really. yeah. Huge fan and like right. it, like I did. All these people that really are anti- but it still gets that discussion going. Right. It still Absolutely. engages people. It's all about the conversation. Which is the key. Yeah. I mean, again, as a retailer, that's just bringing people in and helping us out and help them out. So Definitely. When you have access to virtually everything at this point, I mean, you guys have titles at your fingertips every single day. How do you choose what you're going to read, and how does it not just become overwhelming? Wow. So 
so I would admit that uh, I'm probably down to two or three titles a month. Yeah. I'm so immersed in the business aspect of it and the numbers, and that's one of my passions is uh, analytical data. And it's one of the things that the store really is, is understanding inventory, who's buying what, trending. Sure. Jake's jumped on that. Jake is definitely the, our go-to guy in terms of new titles, and every Tuesday night he's got 12, 14 books. So I don't yeah. know when he sleeps. Yeah, there's some, there's some that you read out of, you feel like out of obligation. Yep. It's, a, it's a new title, so you want to be able to tell people at, at the very least what it's about but maybe you wouldn't have picked it up on your own but then i've got the stack of go-to's that i'd be reading regardless mm -hmm. that i'm that i want to read as a, as a fan yeah there's it's it's hard you gotta you gotta do a little bit of cherry picking and you pass up some stuff that maybe you would read as a fan but you just don't have the time mm -hmm. and you read stuff that you know people are going to be asking you about or that you need to need to know about for for practicality's sake um but yeah, every Tuesday night, it's like Christmas, you put up the new books and then you go shopping. That's you know, let's, yeah. let's face it. And there's nothing like being able to do that, you know, guilt-free as it were. Do you ever get something in the store that you know should be on the shelves because it's maybe a rare title or just an exclusive collectible and you're like, yeah, this is for me? <laughs> me, yeah, me, not anymore. Yeah. Yeah. I'm, again, 48 years old, so I'm an old <laughs> bastard. So for me, part of the store has been really really an opportunity to take a lifelong collection and fold it mm -hmm. into the store. I've gotten a different sense of joy. Um, there's that La Fleas feel of Absolutely. mine, 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 and my collection's huge, and I got 90 long boxes, of, and that's great. But nobody sees the books in, in the boxes. Right. So it's been fun to put them up and see people acquire and now do their mine, 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 put right. their collection in that sense of, and listen, I'm a retailer. I love to sell stuff. <laughs> so that's been a lot of fun for me. But this hasn't been one. Maybe one or two things have come in since we've opened. But Jake's probably. I, I think John is both the angel and the devil on my shoulders. <laughs> sometimes when he'll <clears throat> he'll enable me because <clears throat> he knows me so well, he's like, oh, you're going to want this. And there are other times when I see the the joy in just sharing that we're we're here. You know, practically all you know a lot of the time, almost mm -hmm. every day. Like model so decoy. Our, our our collections, yeah, our collections are here on the wall. We get to see them, we get to live with them. Unlike if they were stuck away in a box at home. So I don't have to, I don't have to be so, uh, I don't have to covet it or be so possessive. I see somebody buy it and share it with them, and they get to take it home and give it a new home. That that's at least as big a thrill. So whereas some people have a room dedicated in their house, maybe for their collection, you guys got to. Put yeah, up an entire got, building. I got two rooms. I got one at home, and I get yeah. to come here to work. So yeah, yeah it's pretty great. And, and now the one at home, we're trying to annex for the store too. So. <laughs> yeah, but, still uh, working on me. More locations. Yeah. yeah, it's been cool. Just get back to the whole retail side. So you'll see a, a dad or a mom pick up a book for their kid and want to put it away. Um, there's still a lot of the the investment opportunity. Mm -hmm. uh, there was an article in the Wall Street Journal about a month or so ago that if you had put the same amount of money into vintage comics versus the Dow, the mm -hmm. return would have been 4x. Oh, wow. Yeah. So it's still there, but we're talking classic vintage Silver Age, Golden Age right. books. Nothing really getting printed today. Although a book like Saga is three years old. Saga number one, first print is $150, $200. The Kabul Snyder Batman number one, which is now four years old, is $150. So they're out there. Yeah. They're out there, but you know, there's a lot of speculating going on too, which is uh, always an interesting part of our business. It's not one of my passions. But again, Manoli, Salivakis, our third, is very much in into that grouping and allows us to have that knowledge without really, again, having to immerse ourselves in it and focus on the store. And so it's been interesting. It feels a lot like the early 90s in a lot of ways, which sure. is kind of scary for people. There's always been kind of gender stereotypes around the comic book community, and it's kind of been a boys club for the most part. Sure, there are a lot of girls that are into it now, and I'm sure there's a lot more 
as things are changing, but what have you guys noticed kind of shift? Yeah, you know, we've been real fortunate. I, I would say a third of our readership is female. Yeah. Um, one of the things that I had to get on board with was was uh, Ms. Marvel. Oh, yeah? Yeah, Ms. Marvel and Captain Marvel, probably two of our hard, hottest books. If really take the time to read them, there's a lot of good messaging in it. There's a lot of social me- messaging, especially with Ms. Marvel. Female readers cause writers and artists to become better because you yeah. have to think of it from a multiple viewpoint. You just can't think of it as, hey, fanboy, early 90s and not knocking Rob Liefeld because everybody bought it. So let's let's all admit it. Right. But the big guns, the big arms, the Heroes Reborn stuff, I think we're past that. I think we're now into a true larger shared universe and larger shared customer base because of that female readership. Yeah. So it's been really cool. Awesome. Well, I'll let you guys go because I know it's yeah, we're opening open the store. time. Let's do it. Well, Rob, thank you so much. We do appreciate you coming in. You've been a great supporter of the store. We love your podcast. And again, thanks to everyone out there for supporting the Hall of Comics and also the local stores. And please support them as well. I'm talking the Bedrock Comics. I'm talking Rubber Chicken, Friendly Neighborhood Comics. That's entertainment. You know, they're working hard for you dollars too, as a way. So give us all a shot. And again, thank you very much. Really appreciate it. Awesome. Thank you. Great job, Rob. Thanks. Hey, Amazon users. If you'd like to help support the show, please go to thegeekgeneration.com slash Amazon, which will bring you right to the Amazon homepage. If you make a purchase after using this link, you've helped the show by earning us a commission, and it won't cost you any extra money. Please use this link for all your future Amazon shopping. That's thegeekgeneration.com slash Amazon. Hey, this is Chris Hardwick, and you're listening to The Geek Generation. In case for some reason you forgot the thing you were listening to. Why would you do that? I'm sorry, I didn't mean to yell. You've worked on a variety of different things at this point between DC and Marvel and now your own published comic too. And you said it was called Perhapanauts? Yes, that's correct. Okay. What is the story about there? Well, it's about a Bigfoot, a Chupacabra, a Mothman, a ghost, a witch... And a mystery character? Okay. It's a mystery to you, not to us. Right. <laughs> if it was a mystery to you. <laughs> and and uh, our, basically our um, premise was was our love of the old um, X-Files episodes. Oh, really? Where, where Mulder and Scully would, would look for the monsters, but we decided that what if Mulder and Scully were the monsters? Really? And so the Chupacabra is more of the troublemaker of the group. Yeah. He's like kind of like an eight-year-old boy. Okay. So it's kind of a little jerk at times. So it's monsters finding monsters, more or less. Yeah. We, we kind of thought about what do, what do we want to work on? What do we like? And um, cryptozoology came up right away. Mm-hmm. So we figured, how, how can we have fun with that? And, and Todd really enjoyed looking up different legends from across the world. So they, they've, they've come encounter with Loch Ness Monster, mm-hmm. Yetis, uh, Bunyips over in Australia. What is it that brings these characters together to find this greater threat? Um, you know, in, in our ideas is why why are there so many cryptozoological creatures, cryptids, in our world? And we decided that what if they're not from our world, but they've actually come from other dimensions, okay. other realities. And they've been brought together as a team, as a government, quasi-government organization to kind of stop the other creatures from coming into our universe. And in the course of the story, they become guardians of, of the perhaps, which is why they're called the perhapanauts. I gotcha. And the perhaps is like just all different realities where these things are coming from. I like that. And it really, you know, eventually gave us the idea that because we're, we're creating this, the perhaps is that we can tell any story we want. Mm-hmm. 
did the book spawn from you wanting to do something on your own or did the idea come first and you said, well, we have to do this now? No, it, it came from what do we want to do? Um, I had been drawing impulse for, for two years over at DC and was really getting tired of the book and, and called my editor and said, you know, I think, I think it's time for me to move on. And there was a pause and he said, well, that's very convenient because I was going to tell you that it was time for you to move on. Interesting. Um, we, we've, we're going to go with a new team. We, we've actually been talking about getting, you know, a new team on the book for issue 50. And I said, well, that's great. Um, I can't wait to read it. And then I got a phone call from, from Todd Zago who said, Hey, we're going to be working on impulse. I'm going to start with issue 50. And I said, I, I'm done with 49, <laughs> but let's find something that we can do together. And, you know, we worked on, on one of his Telos books and that gave us an idea of how well we worked together. So then we decided to come up with something else. Okay. So in the work that you have done so far, you started off on impulse. Uh, you've done work on the Batman animated comic, Batman Beyond, Batman 66 now. Uh, you've had to, kind of morph your style into things that were somewhat established already. Do you like that or is that a new challenge for you or is that something you try to veer away from but it just kind of became your thing? My first samples when I when I started trying to get into comics was actually a Vertigo style. Okay. And and it was completely unrelated to what what they wanted for impulse. And then they said, hey make it look like kind of like Umberto, but not really. Um with the big feet and the kind of cartoony. And sure. then it became something I became comfortable with, and then I really had fallen in love with the Batman cartoon and the simplicity of designs. So I had done some samples, and that led to working on the book, which meant following a style guide. Mm -hmm. And I was pretty good at it. So then after that, I did Batman Beyond for, for two years. And even after that, I've done work for um, for Disney, doing licensed stuff for Kim Possible. Okay. Um and I'd done some storyboard, like a little bit of storyboard stuff for a couple of cartoon shows at Disney and trying to trying to keep in that style guide mode of, okay. of my drawing has to look like nice guys. When you're doing stuff like that, like they have such a rabid fan base, like Batman Animated and Batman Beyond are two of my favorite things that have ever existed. <laughs> and with that rabid fan base, do you feel a certain pressure to satisfy them or do you feel loose enough to where you can take it in a direction that you'd like to go? Um, now I do. Mm -hmm. Now, now I, I was so worried about trying to, to be on model and it wasn't necessarily on model, but it was close enough. And okay. now I realize that the best guys who, who do that, the animated style are close enough, but they've brought something of their own to it. Like when, when Darwin Cook, who, who worked in the show for years, does sure. stuff, you can always tell it's Darwin, but it has that animated style, but clearly it's Darwin. Gotcha. When you're getting scripts and you're getting, I know every writer kind of has a different system that they present to their illustrator, how they're uh, showing the story to then have it put out into paper. What form works best for you? Do you like to have things very specific? Do you like to have things kind of loose so you can fill in the gaps as an artist? Yeah, I, I do like when, when the writer will give me the, their ideas. I might not necessarily follow everything they do, but so we're on the same page when the final product comes out, I don't want the writer to go, wow, that's not at all what I asked for. Sure. But, you know, with, with people I've been working with Todd for so long that he can just write a couple sentences and I'll, I'll know what he wants. And, um, the, the other book we're doing right now, uh, called Kyra alien jungle girl, mm -hmm. which is digitally, um, available on comicology and our own website at artist alley comics 
and also will be in Dark Horse Presents in 2015. That basically came up when I had drawn a picture for um, a convention in Seattle a couple of years ago, okay. Monsters and Dames, and I just drew this alien girl and, and this weird space ape. And my friend Rich said, that that looks awesome. I, I can totally tell you what the story is behind these characters. And then within a few conversations, we had worked up this whole elaborate backstory. But when he sends me a script, it's just a couple sentences and says, I want you to do what you want. I'll, I'll figure out how to make words fit to your drawings. Wow, that's interesting. Which is, is much more like the old Marvel school of, of scripting. Sure. Was, you know, with a lot of the licensed stuff like, Batman 66 or, or most of the DC books, it's very broken down. This is the panel. This is the dialogue. This is the direction this panel should be. And it kind of follows the genesis of the character, too, in the sense that you came up with the design first and then the story fell in behind that. Right, yeah. Like look, he's like looking at it. How, what, what would her story be? Like looking at, at just the designs you came up with. And then it kind of went in different directions. And if we can make a successful run of it, we've got a lot worked out that goes in completely different directions that that says well what else do we want to do besides like jungle stories and then we do have space pirate stories worked up we've got political intrigue that we can work in there and and more sci-fi more gritty action and with a creator-owned book we can do whatever we want hmm. is there a specific genre so far that you like working in more so you said you worked in sci-fi obviously you've worked in superhero is there one that you lean towards more than another now uh not so much I mean, I'm very comfortable with um, superhero stuff mm -hmm. and and all ages stuff is really where I, I realized that with an eight year old and a ten year old, I, I like working on comics that I can share with them. Sure. And it 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 does depress me when I say, hey, you know, I, I like this Batman book, but you can't read it yet. Right. You're, you can't read the regular Batman book, but you can read the Batman sixty six, which you know they they both love reading, so that's cool. And I I've actually tried to see if I could go back to the more gritty vertigo style. And I don't have it in me. So, yeah. Now we had talked before a little bit that we share the same alma mater. And, uh, I'm curious what point in your life, I'm sure there was always an interest in art in some way to pursue it. But at what point growing up, did you have a piece of art where someone said, Hey, uh, maybe you should really pursue this. Or was it just your determination and your goal setting that led to that? Well, I, Grew up with a family. My, my dad was a technical illustrator. Okay. My sister was very creative, and she went to UMass Dartmouth, SMU, for calligraphy. And, um, you know, my grandmother was a very talented painter and, and craftsperson. So, and, and and the interesting thing was my family was always said, do what you want that will make you happy. Mm -hmm. You know, the, I never heard the horror stories like, oh, you're never going to be an artist. You're going to starve. Right. It was if you think you can do it and, and it, it's what you want to do, then you should you should go for it. So, you know, even through high school, I kept thinking that I, I think I want to be an artist. And then I really enjoyed physics and, and thought, well, maybe that's the way I want to go. Hmm. And then I realized that the AP physics class and the uh, art studio class was at the same exact time. I said, yeah, I'll just go with the, the art. Sure. Interesting how those life situations can kind of point you in the right yeah. direction sometimes. And, and then, you know... Um, going to UMass, SMU, UMass Dartmouth, I, I met quite a few good friends there. And one of them happened to grow up with someone who was um, either interning or working at Marvel at that point. Oh, wow. Already. So my friend Dave Tata said, hey, my friend Mike said Marvel. And through these connections that 
I just happened to make is is how I got my first job working on impulse because Mike introduced me to this person, which is that person. And if, you know, maybe one of these things hadn't happened, I wouldn't be where I am today. So. Wow. So coming right out of college, you went right into the comic book industry. Um, after college, I, I did a couple of small custom jobs for, for Marvel and okay. um, their creative service department. And I worked at an art shop and um, in a sign shop for, for a few months after college. But it was pretty quick after college that I, I got in and I fell into it really uh, when they offered me a fill-in on, on Impulse and I hadn't even finished the first one. They said, well, we have another one. And then as I was working on the second one, they said, well, if, if you want to take the book over, you can because Humberto is leaving. So really it went from, wow. from not drawing any real comics, drawing a lot of samples and stuff, but Impulse was my first sequential gig and it led to a full-time job, which really doesn't happen often. So I, I was very lucky in that sense. Pursuing art was the intention always to get into comic books or was it just to do art? It, you know, I, I grew up loving comics and thought I could do it. And then then after a while, I thought, well, I think comics is, you know, it's okay, but for kids. I want to do, uh, you know, maybe some more, I don't want to say important illustration, but maybe some more magazine illustration or, mm -hmm. you know, for the Times or, or, you know, political illustrations. And then as we worked through our senior thesis uh, and, and illustration, I fell into comics again and that the love of, of storytelling. Mm. And then at, that's when I, at that point I said, I think I'm going to do that. And I, I should thought about other like storybooks and I've done storybooks, you know, through Marvel and DC since then, but I've always fallen back to comics. Okay. Earlier I had talked to uh, John and Jake too, about how things have shifted over the years. Like the original viewpoint of comics, I'm sure comics were viewed, like you said, kind of almost as a kid's medium when you were growing up. But now things have changed so much with the mainstream geek culture being <laughs> as prominent as it is. Did you think we would ever see that happen? Oh, oh gosh, no. Um, I was just thinking about it the other day and talking to my son as he's explaining, you know, in, in this clip for the new Avengers movie when Ultron shows up and then uh, the, the Vision's going to show up and they made a Lego set of this and that. And all I can think is that growing up reading the Avengers, I, I never in my wildest dreams would have imagined a $200 million movie with the Vision and yeah, Ultron yeah. and all these characters that, that I read growing up. I think it's, it's, it's insane, really. What was your kind of entry point as when you were younger to get into all this stuff? I, I had friends who uh, read comics and we'd get together and we'd, we'd trade comics and, and read the books that we all had. And we'd go to the local comic book store or bug our parents to bring us to the comic book store across, yeah, yeah. The, across the river. And um, and then I'd go to the drugstore and I, I would pick up The Avengers. And that was that was my book, was was The Avengers for the longest time. And then, you know, my friends had written The X-Men and then we'd trade and... and, and not not really a lot of DC back then, but it was mostly Marvel. Yeah. So you've seen comics mature as well. Absolutely. As as far as not even just the perception of the medium, but the medium itself oh, also yeah. matured tremendously. How would you say the, the stories are approached differently compared to when you were initially reading? You know, I, I think, um, again, everyone will point out, oh, The Dark Knight Returns or Watchmen. Sure. And they, they're these these watershed books that have changed the storytelling to say that comics don't have to be, you know, solely for kids. And I think the problem really is that now they're not for kids mm -hmm. more often than not. Um, I think some of the best books, even back 
when I was reading earlier, and I, I've gone back and, and bought a lot of them in, in the uh, archive books and the hardcovers and the trades, and some of them hold up and, and as well as I remember them, and some of the ones don't mm-hmm. that I read back in the 80s and, and, and 70s. And, and so I think trying to get a, a balance of a book that, that can appeal to an audience on multiple levels is really important. Okay. With all the characters that you've had a hand in uh, be going between DC and Marvel and all those things, are there characters that you're either just so sick of drawing at this point? I can't. I mean, you've done so many Harley Quinns even <laughs> today, uh, and obviously that's a very popular character. But is there a character where you just would never like to never have to draw them again if you don't have to, or is there a character that no matter how many times you draw them, you can find something new or something challenging about them every single time? You know, when I was drawing um, Batman Beyond for two years straight, uh, I got a little tired of it. And yeah, when I was drawing Impulse for two years straight. I got tired of it, but now I really enjoy going back to those characters. Mm-hmm. And a, a sketch here or a sketch there, or I did some pages for, for the latest version of the Batman Beyond comic, and I was very excited. And they said, well, it, he's not in it. Uh, oh. <laughs> you're you're going to get to draw you'll, – you'll draw Terry and, and – not actually Terry. You'll draw Bruce and, and Robin and, and Batgirl, but it, it, they're all in their street clothes. Oh, okay. well, <laughs> no pointy ears and no but, capes. But, you know, then Batman shows up on one page or something. Okay, that's kind of cool. Right. Um, but – you know, it also, I mean, my Joy Impulse probably 15 years ago and, and Batman Beyond, that when I draw them now, I feel like I'm, I'm much better at, at drawing them and, okay. and enjoying it quite a bit more. Is there a book that you've done or are working on now that you feel shows what your artistic style is the most because you have had to gear your style towards other people's? And has your style changed kind of based on those things that you've worked on? Oh, it absolutely has. And I think that a, a good example, the best example is is the Perhapanots. Mm-hmm. That if you go through, I think we have four trade paperbacks out now. And you can start with the first one and, and see how simple I was trying to break it down. Like, oh, if it's a cartoon, it might look like this. And really, how if I could draw this with one line versus three, how will it look? And then as the book goes along, the style's changing and maturing and and you can read the trade and see each book looks a little different mm-hmm. and, and the style is, is is me becoming comfortable with what i'm doing mm. and but but even drawing that is different than me drawing kyra even if i'm drawing at the same time each book has a different feel so i try to change my style even a little bit to fit the project okay when you're developing those characters for something like perhaps not and they're original and they're not something that's already an established character how much refinement and how many iterations do you go through before you're kind of happy with something? Some of them, you know, there were, you know, sheets and sheets and sheets of drawings. And then there was a couple that right off the bat, like, this is it. This is the one drawing I'm doing this character that I think works. And then mm-hmm. as, as the year, the book goes on, the designs become more stylized or things take on a different appearance. Like, you know, if you look at some of the best books, even like, like Hellboy, he mm-hmm. looks it's the same design, but the way Mike you know, draws him has changed so much that sure. he looks almost like a different character. Where, you know, the first time I drew Bigfoot in our book it looks very different from what he looks now. Yep. But you can still tell it's the same character. Sure, sure. You mentioned, too, that X-Files is a big kind of inspiration and uh, tone setter for Perhapanauts. Are there other things that you pull from in pop culture constantly? Or? You know, we, we looked at that book specifically like, well, it, it's kind of like... Archie Comics meets the X-Files mm-hmm. where it's 
a bunch of kids or teenagers. And it, it, we wanted to do fun stories like Archie, but there was a little bit of, of seriousness to it as well, like the X-Files. And, you know, we, we kind of think of some of the, the goofy stuff that happens in The Simpsons with, with um, Bart Simpson and, and Choopy, our Chupacabra character. Mm-hmm. Choopy. Yeah. <laughs> I like it. <laughs> um, you know, we, we had thought that um, in our story, the cryptids were put through a, mach- um, a machine called the Evolvo Ray. You know, mm-hmm. we found some old 60s comics and kind of like the goofy technology okay. stuff where Bigfoot went through it and and he was evolved to the point where he became a PhD. And, <laughs> and he's a Buddhist monk and um, he's really trying to, to live a peaceful life and figure out a more peaceful existence whereas they the machine didn't work as well on on Chupi. right so he's kind of stuck at, at like an eight-year-old level <laughs> and he's the one who throws out the, the fart jokes and, and sure, just sure. the obnoxious little kid that you don't knock it off it sounds like a lot of really like very established characters did you work into that or were some of those ideas just there right to begin with some of them as the stories went along, they told us, you know, this is the way I should be as a character. Like, mm-hmm. as you're working on it, the way they interact with each other, there's uh, the ghost is Molly, and she's she's a 16-year-old, and she's perpetually 16-year-old. Yeah. So, you know, her voice became very clear right away. Yeah, and, yeah. And Choupies became clear. And one of the, the coolest things that we did was Todd wrote an audio play. And for me, it was nice because I just got to, to read the script. So that looks all, that's great. And right, I, I right. drew the cover for, for the play. But, um, he worked with a recording studio and they actually, you know, got voice actors in and, and they read the characters and they brought everything to life in a way that oh, wow. we kind of thought this is, is what they should sound like. Yeah. I've never heard of anyone doing it that way. And that uh, must have given a unique voice to everything. It did. Um, I know that it's audio comics is the name of the company and, and they've done other things like, um, Molly Danger, mm-hmm. and then a couple of other. I've heard that name projects. before. Yeah, yeah. Um, my friend Jamal Eigel has, has done that book, and it's fantastic. And they turned it into an audio play, and, and Todd wrote this one, and they've been so happy with with how it came out, and and I think it won some audio play awards. That they're hey, let's do another one. So he's working on that now. Okay. And you know they got the voice actor saying, "I'd love to come back and be be Bigfoot again. That was a lot of fun." And you know, we, we ideally, sure, we'd love to see a TV show or a movie. Right, or animated and, opportunity. You know, we or... really, one of the first things we did was put it together as a pitch. And and it's floated around Hollywood and come back and gone out and come back and gone out and come back. So It sounds like something that people would latch on to right now. There's so many different hooks in for different age groups, I think. That's, you know, and, and we thought of it like, hey, it would be a great Saturday morning cartoon or it would be a great... Um, uh, late night show on on the animation domination. Sure, absolutely. Or, or, you know, Adult Swim, you know, it could be more quirky and it could be a movie or it could be a cartoon. So we had a lot of ideas that we think maybe it's almost too much over the map that okay. they can't focus in on that one sweet spot. Can't hit the demographic. <laughs> it's too amorphous. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, one of the things we always like to ask people about is not only what they do, but also what their passions are and what they're interested in. So outside of comics, what are you consuming? What do you geek out over? That is a good question. Thank you. Yeah. What do I geek? You know, the typical movies um, and and right, right now I'm on a huge Stephen King hook for some reason. Are you? The books the, or the movies? The books. Okay. And uh, um, I just... And also, I listen to a lot of audiobooks while I work. Mm-hmm. So I feel and like, podcasts, maybe. And podcasts. <laughs> Although I will, I, I will say that a lot of times I get distracted and I stop. Yeah. The pencil goes down and I go, what? Or, or 
I haven't worked for 15 minutes and I've just been sitting listening. Well, if you listen to this show, there's nothing of any importance <laughs> that you need to stop for. <laughs> or or I realize that I I haven't been listening. For sure, minutes, sure. So it's one or the other. But I just listened to the Stephen King um, Mercedes, Mr. Mercedes. Okay. And that led me back to reading his son's book, um, Horns. So I'm in the middle of that. And I'm, I wasn't a really a big horror guy, but I'm on a horror kick right now. So. Hmm. Interesting. It was uh, sci-fi a big thing growing up too? You, I mean, obviously oh. you mentioned X Files. Oh yeah, um, and it still is. I yeah, mean, and and we introduced our kids to, to Back to the Future, and now that's, that's oh, yeah. a big thing in our house. And absolutely, you know, my son's like, I think that um, th- next year I should have my my hoverboard, right? In <laughs> all serious, he's like, well, I, I think the movie said 2015, and that's coming up. So I, they're working on it, right? Like that movie is is real. Like, it's not real. <laughs> right. Oh, it's great, though, that a movie about time travel can feel so timeless and it still appeals to every generation. And, and you know, having to explain to him, well, you know, for 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 me, uh, when I grew up watching that movie, that the time jump back to 1955 is the same as you're having right now, where you sure. jump back to 1985. And he goes, oh, wow, that's crazy. That is that is very cool. I never thought about it like that Which before. Which makes you just kind of feel old. Yeah, a little bit. <laughs> is there anything on the horizon that you're really looking forward to? Besides the next Avengers movie? Besides and, the next And pretty Avengers. much every Marvel movie that they've announced. I know, because they kill it on every single level right now. It, it is in the TV shows. and and. I mean, DC's presence on TV is awesome right now between Gotham and Flash and Arrow and Constantine and... Titans is filming next year. I love their 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 TV shows, but uh, you know I'm I'm worried about the whole. Yeah, oh, we're gonna have a different Flash in the movie versus the TV show, which is just yeah, it, it is tone perfect for me right now. Where, and I they've got a plan, which I I'm assuming they know exactly how it's gonna work out. So I I'm expecting the best, but I you know Mar- <laughs> Marvel's track record right now has me excited, whereas Warner Brothers and DC's has me. Not very excited, right? I guess. Like I, I really oh, the Batman movies kind of. I like the first one, uh, kind of. The second one I liked it a lot. Third one I hated it. Mm-hmm. Man of Steel hated it. Yep. Um, and you know if that's the direction they're going, it's just not the direction I want to go. I agree. Whereas the Marvel movies, I, I'm along for the ride with and the TV shows how they interconnect and the Netflix shows are gonna interconnect with the movies and the TV. I think it's it, that has me much more excited. Mm. Yeah, the DC TV side does feel a lot stronger. Their animation division was doing very well for a while, obviously with Batman and Batman Beyond and things like that. And then they kind of dropped all their animated TV presence aside from like Teen Titans Go. Yeah. And, you know, again, the sad thing is like my kids love Teen Titans Go. And then there's a comic book, which is a fun comic book, but they go, can we read Teen Titans? I'm like, we can't read a regular Teen Titans book. No, that's not, that's not (laughs) for you. But, um, you know, and then they, they like the Batman cartoon, the beware the Batman, but that didn't, didn't last. Didn't last. No. Between all the different iterations of characters, especially being a father and everything, is there certain like versions of Batman that you lean towards or like more than others? You know, I mean, I've always had a, a, a huge um, love of, of the Batman 66, the Adam West. Mm-hmm. And the fact that my kids love it, I think, is a lot of fun. Um, and the Brave and the Bold cartoon, the kids really could not get enough of that. And that was one of my favorite shows also. So, you know... We, the movies that are out now, they they haven't seen, and I I really have no rush to to let them see them. Sure, sure. The uh, now since you're working on Batman sixty six, I know Ralph Garman was writing 
a lot of those. Are those the same ones? Uh, and Ralph was writing the uh, the team up with Green Hornet. Green Hornet, yeah. Is that the book that you worked on? No, I worked on the regular Batman 66, uh, Jeff Parker. Okay. Written. Yep. So those are separate runs. They're not interconnected yeah, at all? No, they had a... Well, I mean, it's just the Batman 66 universe. Right. But they had a, a separate miniseries that was, I guess, co-produced by Dynamite. Okay. Because Dynamite owns the license for okay. Green, Green Hornet. Jeez, it's getting complex. It, it kind of <laughs> is, yeah. As much as the New 52 tries to simplify things, it's... uh. It's the comic universe is just infinitely growing all the time. It's pretty crazy. <laughs> I don't want to take up too much of your time because you've been here <laughs> for a long time today. So I appreciate you no. taking the time to talk no. with me. No problem. And uh, what what can we plug for you? Do you have an internet presence that you'd like people to pay attention to or social media or anything like that or books that you'd like us to pick up? Well, I, I love it when people buy the Perhapanots. Yes. <laughs> um, sure. Uh, my website's correctruso.com. I kind of sort of regularly updated but not really okay um i'm on facebook a lot and, and twitter yeah and our digital stuff is over at comic i should look at this up shouldn't i <laughs> yeah artistallycomics.com okay where i you know it's, it, that's where we have kyra and some friends of ours like rich case is working on a book over there and um kelly yates has a project over there some of the guys that that said hey how can we get our comics out without having to deal with printing and publication and distribution getting it in the hands of people just say with a click of a mouse so it's a new world we live in it's crazy i mean anyone people like me that just have microphones can throw things up on the internet and, and people listen go figure <laughs> <laughs> all right well thanks again so much for joining me i you really appreciate welcome. it thank you for having me thanks to craig jake and johnny for joining me for this episode for photos and links from this show head on over to thegeekgeneration.com if you use iTunes, please rate the show and write a review. We always appreciate those. You can like us at facebook.com slash thegeekgeneration. Follow us at geekgeneration on Twitter. You can follow me on Twitter and Instagram at the Night Angel. Send emails with your comments and questions to podcast at thegeekgeneration.com. And as always, the show theme is provided by Machine Supremacy. A link to their site can also be found on our site. Thanks for listening. We'll be back next week with more stuff for you. Later. Make it so.